G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Once again, I'm here with my head of nutrition, Sheridan Sky. How are you doing, Sheridan? I'm good. Hi guys. So this week we're going to talk about training and a real key component of training, which leads to progression over time is going to be progressive overload. So progressive overload, I think is quite misunderstood there's many variables to progress progressive overload and this is something we should be striving for in our training session so progressive overload is what allows basically new stresses to be imposed on the body our body doesn't just adapt and automatically get bigger or stronger we need to impose these stresses and those stresses are imposed through progressive overload once we trigger that stressor, then we force the body to adapt to handle that stressor. And what happens is the body adapts to handle that stressor, which then leads to adaptations, which leads to progression. So whether it's neurological adaptations for strength or hypertrophy adaptations, this is all triggered by the quest for progressive overload. So there, there are actually quite a few ways to progressive overload. Um, what we're going to cover today is six different variables. So we've got load, um, volume, reps, density. Um, we've also got to look at, just scratching my mind, um, time under tension and also um, difficulty of an exercise. So I'm going to get um, try to break these down simply because these six variables are something you should be always striving for. Um, over time in your workout. So I'm going to get Sheridan to start with the first one because I've just talked for a, a long time. So Sheridan's going to start with looking at total, um, um, sorry, looking at reps increasing under load. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's an interesting topic because I think that a lot of people think and assume that the only way to progressive overload is to obviously add weight to the bar and of course that's a way one way that we want to aim at, at progressive overloading but it's not the only way because depending on the exercise you are going to hit you know I guess a ceiling of how far you're able to actually push that weight and you might plateau for a bit but there are still other ways that we can progressive overload so like Mark mentioned we can look at reps so you know reps is essentially we're, we're wanting to apply mechanical tension to a muscle, right? So if we start with eight reps, um, we won't talk about sets yet, but let's say in a set, we start with eight reps and it's, you know, a 50 kilo barbell back spot, for example. If that week we do eight reps and then the next week we might be able to do nine reps and then the next week we might be able to do 10 reps, we're essentially increasing our ability to progressively overload just by adding more reps to those sets. Exactly. So one of the main things I always say is I want to get clients stronger for reps. So for hypertrophy, it's not so much about, hey, let's improve our one rep max. Sure, one rep maxes are always nice to improve, but normally for hypertrophy adaptations, we're going to want to try and get be, be getting stronger for slightly higher rep ranges. Um, very low reps is going to be what we call neurological adaptations. So kind of like your central nervous, nervous system being trained. But for more hypertrophy adaptations, we're going to need a few more reps. So for me, I really like getting clients stronger in that kind of four, six, eight, 10 rep range. So if a client, for example, comes to me and they're squatting 60 kilos for six reps, my big goal is to not just have them say 
doing more weight for six reps. It's also having the ability to do more reps of that same weight. So one form of progressive overload is going to be increased reps at that weight. So for example, you start say on 60 kilos for six reps, progressive overload of reps would be, you can now do say eight, um, sorry, 10 reps of 60 kilos. So you've gone from six reps of 60 kilos to now being able to do 10 reps of 60 kilos. So that it means you have gotten stronger for reps of a given weight. Now, on the flip side, we can also add load to the bar. So second measure of progressive overload is you get stronger. So intensity goes up. So when we're talking intensity, people often think, Oh, intensity being like, you know, you see bodybuilding magazines and they're screaming and they're like, ah, I'm working so hard. That is not the kind of intensity we're talking about. Intensity is basically in, rel and in relevance to reference, sorry, to how much weight you have on the bar. So the closer you are to your one rep max, the greater the intensity. So if you're lifting, if your max is 100 kilos, and you do say 95 kilos, the intensity is much higher than say, if you're doing 80 kilos. So the closer you are lifting to your max for a weight, the greater intensity. So one way we look at improving um, or training progressive overload is to get stronger. And that means just by adding more weight. So we look at the client who could do 60 kilos for six reps. Yes, they can eventually do say um, 60 kilos for 10 reps but we also want to get them stronger at that same rep range. So instead of doing 60 kilos for six reps, they can now do 80 kilos for six reps. That is progressive overload. So they're the kind of the two main ones we look at. You can either get stronger with that same amount of reps. So for six reps, you add more weight to your ability to do for six reps, or you can get stronger for reps. So you can do more reps with that given load. So they're our main two kind of you look at focusing on. When I get a client, I always look at their numbers. Cool. You're at X amount of weight. I either or both want to get you doing more weight at that rep range or doing more reps on that given weight. So they're our first two real most common forms of progressive overload but we've got actual other measures of overload we can also assess yes load intensity going up and reps are both i guess the most common staples but we have other variables that you should be able to look at so sharon's going to now chat about time under tension yeah, and just quickly before I move on to that, I think a lot of people refer, when they think of the word intensity, they often think of high intensity interval training as well. So definitely not talking about that when we are talking about intensity, but time under tension. So basically when you look at a program, <coughs> sorry, especially if you've looked at Mark's programs, you'll notice that every single uh, program and exercise has a specific tempo prescribed. And I think that tempo is an area that especially new people to training really really overlook because it's like oh I'm trying to count my reps and I'm trying to do everything else and think about everything else but the tempo is there for a very specific reason and that is because we can you know somewhat use um, tempo or time under tension to progressively overload 
So if I can give you an example, if again, let's go back to the eight reps. Let's say I was doing a, um, a leg extension, eight reps of a leg extension with a two zero one zero tempo versus doing a eight rep of a leg extension at a five zero one zero tempo. So when we look at the five zero one zero tempo, it's a slow eccentric. So we're essentially increasing the amount of time that that muscle is under tension, which can also um, contribute toward progressively overloading when we can no longer, you know, increase reps or we can no longer increase weights. We're sort of at a, you know, we've, we've hit a ceiling in our current training program, then we can start really looking at increasing the, the tempo within that exercise. Yeah. So big thing with that is that often I write tempos and for example, for a squat, we'll have a four second eccentric. And what you'll see a lot of the times with people doing these programs is the first week they stick to it. Then the second week they stick to it. And then the third week, all of a sudden that four second eccentric starts to become a three second eccentric. Yeah. And then then a two second eccentric. Two second. Then they start to get away from that and they go, oh, but I'm trying to add weight to the bar. I'm trying to get, I'm like, yes, but you're actually now doing something different. It's like saying, I want to add more weight. So I've gone from say a heels elevated high bar squat to a low bar squat because that's an easier position to lift more weight. So you're actually getting away from the identity of the program, which is a big mistake. The goal should be to get, if you've got a tempo in that program, stick at it. So a cool way of just looking at tempo is let's say we've got a two zero one zero tempo, which means the two second eccentric and one second up, which means the rep takes three seconds. So two seconds down, one second up, three second rep. If you're doing eight reps of that tempo, so three second rep, eight times three is 24 seconds of time under tension. Pretty simple. So two, zero, one, zero, eight reps equals 24 seconds you're working. Now, if you do a five, zero, one, zero, which is a six second rep. So five second eccentric, one second up. So six seconds for each rep and you do eight seconds, that's 48 seconds. So just by doing a, a longer eccentric, your time under tension is far greater. So this is why you want to, again, assess time and tension. So people go, oh, I'm not getting much stronger. I'm still doing the same weight that I was doing, say, for example, for 24 seconds. But if you can do that same weight for 48 seconds now through that slow eccentric, you're actually working longer. You're, you're able to use that same weight for a longer period of time within that set. So that is where we look at time and tension. Yes, you might have not added more weight to the bar. You might not have added more reps. But if you're doing a slow eccentric, it means for the same amount of weight and same amount of reps, your time on tension, your amount of work you're doing in that set is actually increasing substantially. Yeah, for sure. And just adding to that very quickly, I think that, and I don't know if you find this as well, Mark, but when you program, say, really slow, not really slow, but slower eccentric, say, in a 5010 tempo, and your client is very driven by increasing weight every week and they're really sort of ego driven in that sense slow eccentrics can be a bit of a mental challenge because they think in their mind that they're not getting stronger because obviously if you're doing something for two seconds versus five seconds you're not going to be able to lift as much as you would in a two second um, tempo 
And what's really important to just understand is that you are getting stronger and you are, you know, we are building more muscle when we do introduce those slow eccentrics, even if it means that you're not lifting what you would in a 2010 tempo. Exactly right. So the other day I um, had my client, they sent me their squats and their pause squats were two second pause and it looked like about a one eighth of a second pause. <laughs> And I was like, that's not a two second pause. They're like, oh, really? I'm like, no, just watch it. And they're like, I was like, count to two. And one, you two. You can end at one. So, yeah, so that's um, a mistake people make. So they, of, you, they often want to cheat the tempo when the tempo is actually designed to improve, help them improve. So stick to the tempos. So next one I want to look at, guys, is volume increasing. So we looked at intensity, um, We've looked at time and attention, we've looked at increased reps, but volume from a standpoint of total sets increasing. So when I start with a beginner, I normally have quite low training volume. So they might be only doing say 12, 14 working sets on a workout and they might only be doing say three sessions a week. So let's say they do 12 sets times three days a week. That means they're only doing about 36 working sets a week. But then you might see an advanced client, they're doing say 20 sets a week um, so 20 sets of workout and they're doing five sets. So they're doing a, um, five days. So they're doing a hundred um, training sets a week. So that's a huge gap. Okay. So you've got very low volume versus really high volume for an advanced person. So the goal is often to obviously not take them from very low to extremely high in a few weeks. But what I like to do is I just slowly improve, increase volume. So for my clients, if I start off their phase one might be only 12 sets per workout then the next phase, we might go to 14 sets per workout. Then the next four-week phase, we might increase to 16 sets per workout. So what I look at, I'm just trying to improve their work capacity. So I'm not trying to kill them the first few weeks. We go really quite low training volume, ensure that they can get through it well. And then what you notice is the first phase, 12 sets might make them feel like they're going to die. And then phase two, they're actually doing 14 seconds and they're quite managing it and then you're doing 16 or 17 seconds the third to four week phase and they're really comfortable so that there is just a measure of progressive overload as well is that they're able to tolerate more training volume more training total sets throughout their workouts and throughout their training week so this is something you often do it's like well yeah they're they're lifting a similar amount of weight in their sets but if you're doing more total sets then if you're doing say three sets of 10 at hundred kilos versus four sets of 10 at hundred kilos, obviously that extra set of 10 reps at hundred kilos means you're lifting a thousand more kilos in that session. So that happens over time. So when you're trying to progress your client or even progress yourself, look at how many sets you're doing often starts lower down and allow yourself to just naturally build up your work capacity allow yourself to build up that tolerance to training volume and then progressively increase, increase, increase. Now with total sets though, there's also going to be a cap where you don't always want to um, be going up and up and up or otherwise advanced people would be, you know, doing hundred sets of workout um, seven days a week. So there does become a cap, but volume is something and total sets is something I really look at using uh, over time to pro progress a client slowly but surely and allow them that ability to handle more training volume. Yeah, for sure. And I think that volumes, it's a, I guess, 
an area of hypertrophy that is contested, but I think that when you're using it appropriately, it it definitely does add to that progressive overload equation. But the problem is that when people just sort of look at, you know, a beginner trainee might look at a advanced trainee's amount of volume that they're doing and they just absolutely go in and smash themselves and we're, then they're starting to just do a whole lot of junk volume. So you want to start at the lower end of volume, make sure, like Mark said, that you're able to recover from that volume and, you know, you're, you're not, you're, you're sleeping well, your nutrition's you know, on point, but also you are able to recover from that before you start adding volume. So the next thing that I want to chat about is exercise difficulty. And this is another interesting one, because if we look at something like progressing from an assisted pull-up because you're not able to get a body weight pull-up and that's quite an advanced movement. But if we can eventually start with an assisted pull-up and whether you, you're using a machine or you're using bands and you slowly either decrease the uh, width of that band or you're slowly decreasing the amount of weight that you need to support you in the assisted pull-up to then eventually getting to a body weight pull-up. That's also a form of progressive overload. So if we can increase the exercise difficulty, that can also contribute to a progressive overload. But what I would say about that one is just being careful with how you use this one because I'm going to take something really extreme and think about, oh, well, if I was to do a goblet squat and then I was to go and get a bossy ball and stand on the bossy ball and do a goblet squat, that's going to be harder and therefore I'm going to be progressive overloading. I would say to you, no, that's not really how it works. So we still want to have stability. Wasn't that on your Instagram this morning? Yeah, that's my favorite exercise. <laughs> that's all I give my, my clients. Oh, five bands around your knees. One-legged bosable squats with Sheridan Sky. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Sheridan Sky method by my That's programs. Um, so, guys, stability is really important. You know, we often look at these things on Instagram or see things on Instagram where people are trying to take a really good exercise and either remove the stability from it, meaning that you know you have to use other muscles to stabilize that movement more, when that can really take away from the muscle that we're trying to train. And it, when we're thinking about hypertrophy and growing muscle, we want to be placing that time under tension and mechanical tension on the intended muscle that we're trying to train rather than making it really complicated and bringing in you know other muscles that need to stabilize it so yes exercise difficulty can be a form of progressive overload but it needs to be used appropriately and intelligently exactly so difficulty for me is kind of progressing a client from basic movements to just more of our common movements but just progressing them at a, a speed that is wise and allowing them to safely execute but it's not just trying to make an exercise stupidly hard or difficult where it's actually taking the pe the benefits away from the exercise so you know, for a beginner client it might just be learning to begin with a split squat or a goblet squat to then transitioning over time to a high bar squat a low bar squat things like that just natural gradual progressions of an exercise progressing them through Something that's really simple to learn to harder movement is just a measure of overload for difficulty of an exercise. So final measure of progressive overload, and this is one of my, um, I guess, 
variables. I really like programming, especially when I'm looking at trying to train gen pop clients. This is this is something that really, I guess, built my name, um, the gen pop community and transformations of them four or five years ago before most of you ever followed me. Um, and that's through periodizing things like density. So density, what is density? So density is basically your work per unit of time. So with density, basically look at how much work can you get done in a given time? So if we have a 45 minute personal training session, how much um, work can get done in that 45 minutes? So for me, when I used to train people in gyms, starting off with a client, obviously many people when I was in the gen pop community, that'd be corporate people hadn't done much though. They wanted to get in great shape for their 40th or 50th birthday, things like that. They'd come to me remembering what it was like to train. They hadn't trained in years. And their first session, they quickly realized what happens when you don't train for years with your work capacity. So things like density is looking at, all right, so how much work can the person get done in that 45 minutes? Often it's quite low to begin with. So as I said before, with our sets, we might only get 12 working sets in that 45 minutes just because they'll do a set of split squats and they felt like then they were going to throw up just from doing a light set of split squats or they'll do a lap pull down and literally they'll just so gassed just from doing a good quality set that they needed longer rest. So for density, what happens is I'm looking at trying to increase the amount of work that we can get done over the next few phases in that 45 minutes. So I had 45 minutes of a client. That means we're not going to be able to get more just sets done, say, outside that 45 minutes. They have 45 minutes to work with you. So it's not just, say, adding, you know, enough work to get them to do work for 45 minutes and 60 minutes and 75 minutes. Density is going to be in reference to still getting more volume done, but more volume in that time period. So with a beginner client, it might be, as I said, you might get 12 sets only in the first um, couple of weeks, but then end of their 12, initial 12 weeks of you, they might be able to handle 20 working sets in that same 45 minutes. So what happens is by going from 12 to 20 working sets in that um, 45 minutes, it means we're getting more work done in that, that time period, which means we're improving the density of a workout. And this is something I'm a huge fan of for really trying to build up someone's work capacity. Someone who comes to you with very low base of fitness and muscle endurance where they do, you know, eight, 10 reps and they feel like they're going to collapse their legs and stuff like that to later on at the end of the 12 weeks, they're doing more sets, more weight, um, their ability to recover quickly between sets dramatically increases. So all these variables allow you to drive up density as a form of pro progressive overload. So something not looked at a lot and something you can also use for things like fat loss blocks when you're trying to get more calories expended. At times you can use resistance training um, to promote increased calorie expenditure. So if I've got a client who, for, for instance, doesn't have time to do a lot of set, um, steps outside their workout. They don't have time to do cardio outside their workout. They've got three, four days to train with you and that's it. Then you might look at doing more density-based workouts where instead of, say, doing a set, then resting three minutes and they've only get you know, 15 sets done in 45 minutes, you can do things like tri-sets, like an 8-8-16 or 6-12-25 tri-set. 
what you're trying to do is trying to get them more work in that period of time that they have available to try and increase the volume and increase calorie expenditure in that time. So that is a way I use density. I'm a huge fan of density and it's something I think coaches should be using a lot more. For sure. So guys, that is it wrapping up this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you taken something away from it. And if you haven't, we have recently released a TDEE calculator that you can use for free on the website to determine your maintenance calories. And it even helps you to determine your protein requirements as well. So obviously we're talking about progressive overload, but in, term, in terms of building muscle, we need to be making sure our nutrition is on point as well. So if you haven't checked that out, check it out. Exactly. And it's literally the exact calculations I use for my private clients. So it's definitely um, something everyone should check out because it is exactly the formulas I use. So thanks a lot, guys, for today. Hopefully you took um, something away and then you can reflect on this for your own training. So if you're plateauing and noticing you're not really making progress, assess these variables and see how you can apply it to your own training. Catch you next week. Thanks.